Time for Seafood News. You're listening to the Seafood News Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Foreign Trade Data. Reduce uncertainty, minimize risks, and uncover opportunities with the only website designed for the seafood import and export community. I'm news assistant Ryan Doyle. And I'm Erner Barry seafood market reporter Lauren Castiglione. Thanks for joining us. In our top story of the day, NOAA Fisheries announced the release of their report on efforts to recover all transnational and domestic species under their jurisdiction from October 1st, 2016 through September 30th, 2018. The report summarizes the status of each species that has or will have a recovery plan, the status of the recovery plan, and the completion date for the last five-year review. NOAA Fisheries' strategic approach focuses on resources on species for which immediate, targeted efforts are needed to stabilize their populations and prevent extinction. The report highlights recovery progress for eight of nine species identified in the Species in the Spotlight Initiative. They are as follows. Atlantic Salmon, Gulf of Maine, Distinct Population Segment, Central California Coast Coho Salmon, Evolutionary Significant Unit, Cook Inlet Beluga Whales, DPS, Hawaiian monk seal, North Atlantic right whales, Pacific leatherback sea turtle, Sacramento River winter run Chinook salmon, ESU, Southern resident killer whale, DPS, and white abalone. For all nine species, the best available information points to their extinction in the near future due to rapid population decline or habitat destruction. These species need, need focused intervention to stabilize their population and prevent their extinction. For some, their numbers are so low that they need to be bred in captivity. Others are facing human threats that must be addressed to prevent their extinction. These species also conflict with construction, developmental projects, or other forms of economic activity. The agency's goal is to focus on recovery actions and motivate partners and interested citizens to work with us on these actions to turn this situation around. Lauren, let's take a trip to Capitol Hill now, where politicians are introducing legislation and pushing for change in the seafood industry. First up, South Carolina Representative Joe Cunningham introduced the Climate Ready Fisheries Act of 2019 this week. The bill addresses the impacts of climate change on the area's fisheries. The legislation has bipartisan support from representatives from both the East and West Coasts. Cunningham's bill directs the Government Accountability Office to look at what actions have already been taken by fishery managers to identify information gaps, provide recommendations on how to better adapt fishery management, and prepare fishing industries and communities for the impacts of climate change. It also directs the GAO to make recommendations to Congress on how to enhance the nation's science and management systems to better address climate change. Keeping things in Washington, as the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation considers legislation to encourage more finfish farming in the U.S., Senator Maria Cantwell urged NOAA to better manage aquaculture in the country. Cantwell said that a program of increased offshore aquaculture could pose direct threats to marine ecosystems and directed fisheries if it is poorly managed and underregulated. Cantwell highlighted a 2017 spill of 263,000 non-native Atlantic salmon in the state of Washington that devastated local communities. Cantwell did emphasize that aquaculture can work well, using the Washington's $270 million shellfish aquaculture industry as a prime example of a fish farming success story. And let's wrap up our politician talk with California Representative Jared Huffman's introduction of the Salmon Fish Act. The act is intended to identify, restore, and protect the most important salmon rivers and watersheds in America. The bill will also ensure adequate funding to sustain thriving salmon populations. Huffman's new bill, titled The Salmon-Focused Investments in Sustainable Habitats, FISH, Fish Act, 
aims to improve the resiliency of those important salmon rivers in the country. It also protects the essential habitats that have not yet been degraded and will help support the jobs and economic activity that depend on healthy salmon runs. Next up, as fishermen and scientists observe a northward shift in many species from the eastern Bering Sea poleward, the genetics team at NOAA Fisheries has been analyzing samples from 2017 and learned that non-spawning cod collected in August 2017 in the northern Bering Sea were similar to spawning stalks of cod in the eastern Bering Sea. Until recently, Pacific cod were rarely encountered in the northern Bering Sea. Fishery surveys in the 1970s reported trace amounts of cod there. A 2010 Alaska Fisheries Science Center survey estimated that the entire north population amounted to about 3% of the large southeastern Bering Sea stock that supported a valuable commercial fishery. Then, in 2017, the summer survey recorded dramatically higher abundances in the north, a 900-fold increase since 2010. In the same year, southeastern Bering Sea abundances were down 37% from 2016. Strikingly, the increase in the north nearly matched the decrease in the southeastern Bering Sea. A 2018 survey revealed an even more remarkable shift. There were more cod in the northern than southeastern Bering Sea. And Ingrid Spies, a biologist at NOAA's Alaska Fisheries Science Center, who authored the report, asked simply, what happened? Researchers came up with a few ideas about why so many cod were appearing north. They hypothesized it could have been an expansion of a small existing population, a fish moving in from Russia or from somewhere else in the known range, or even perhaps the Gulf of Alaska cod, whose numbers dropped mightily in 2017. Spies, along with her colleagues, used a genetics approach to find out whether the northern cod represented a separate population or came from another stock. They found the northern fish were indistinguishable from southeastern fish. That meant the northern Bering Sea cod would be included in the stock assessment, a key answer that was necessary for proper fishery management. The final question, however, remained, why are these fish moving north? Well, the research team believes that changing ocean temperatures are the reason. The cold pool, a body of water below 2 degrees Celsius that is left on the eastern Bering Sea bottom after ice sea retreats on the Bering Sea is shrinking. Typically, cod would just reach the cold pool and stop swimming north. Since the pool was all but gone last year, they just kept chugging along. And finally, we continue with our National Seafood Month story of the week. It appears that eating seafood does in fact make you smarter, which is great news for us because yes. <laughs> I eat a lot of seafood. A systematic review of 44 different scientific studies since 2000, done by a group of 13 leading dietary scientists, found that children whose mothers ate seafood during pregnancy gained an average of 7.7 .7 IQ points compared to the children of mothers who did not eat seafood. 24 studies reported that seafood consumption among mothers was associated with beneficial outcomes to neurocognition on some or all the tests administered to their children. The beneficial outcomes appeared on tests administered as early as three days of age and as late as 17 years in age. I'd like to know more about the tests on three days Yeah, I wonder age. what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> How much can be done at that right. point? <laughs> the paper's lead author, Captain Joseph Hibbelin, said at, at the State of the Science Symposium, there is a lost opportunity for IQ when mothers are not eating enough seafood. Highlights of the paper, which evaluated studies on just over 103,000 mother-offspring pairs and 25,000 children, found that in addition to the jump in IQ points, measures of neurocognitive outcomes included verbal, visual, and motor skill development, scholastical achievement, and four specifically looked at hyperactivity and ADHD diagnosis. One finding showed that children of mothers not eating oily seafood had nearly three times greater risks of hyperactivity. 
Benefits to neurocognitive development began at the lowest amounts of seafood consumed in pregnancy, one serving or about four ounces per week, and some studies looked at greater than 100 ounces per week. No adverse effects of seafood consumption were found for neurocognition in any of the 44 publications, indicating that there may be no upper level limit to seafood's benefits for brain development. And let's wrap up this story with Dr. J. Thomas Brenna, an author of the study who said that the benefits of eating seafood are so substantial for the development of baby brains, eyes, and its and their overall nervous system. So eat that seafood, yes, people. Yes, eat some seafood. And that about does it for us. Once again, this episode was brought to you by Foreign Trade Data. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.